0: This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I am your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and this is our final show of the year. Sort of, it's the final show with me, breaking down everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. However, I am putting together a very special show as I'm joined by my colleagues, Mark Marimondi of ESPN, whose name I just stumbled all over, but Mark Marimondi of ESPN. Mike Bond of MMAJunkie.com, Brian Campbell, one half of the great Morning Combat duo, and Sean Elshadi of MMAFighting.com. Very excited to speak to those four gentlemen. We're going to do our year in review like we have done, I believe, the last two years with uh, that particular cast of characters. So very much looking forward to talking to them, chopping it up. That podcast will be released uh, probably today, being Tuesday, or uh, tomorrow, Wednesday. And if you're listening to this on TSN Radio in Toronto or Ottawa, you will hear that show over the the next subsequent two weeks. So if you are a diehard exclusive radio listener of the TSN MMA show, do not fret. You will be getting that show as well. So thank you for tuning in. Before we get started talking about the uh, UFC, I want to thank the great crew over at Unified MMA. I uh, made my debut as a broadcaster in the commentary booth for Unified 48 at the International Centre in Mississauga, Ontario. And that was an absolute blast. I can't remember the last time I had that much fun. It was like being on a roller coaster for four hours with my colleagues John Ramdean and proper Mike Malott, And that was a lot of fun to call. Really good night of fighting. We saw some of the top prospects in Ontario and uh, across Canada, really, do their thing. And I'm sure we'll be seeing some of them in the UFC in the uh, years to come but a very exciting night of fighting and uh just a a a real honor to be part of that great team and work with sunny serene and rob beavers over at unified so thank you to them for having me it was a, a lot of fun and hopefully i'll get to do it again in 2023 we'll have to see but for now let's focus on the uh recent history of mixed martial arts this past weekend We had the final UFC event of 2023. It was UFC Fight Night, Cannoneer versus Strickland. Uh, An interesting way to end the year for the UFC. A a lot of decisions in the prelims. And then a bunch of finishes on the main card, save for the main and co-main event the second uh, straight week where both the main and co-main event went the distance. So why don't we start off with the main event, shall we? Interesting scorecards. We had Jared Cannoneer defeating Sean Strickland. 49-46 49-46, Canadier. 49-46, Strickland. 49-46, Canadier. So Jared Canadier earns a split decision win over Sean Strickland. And you know, a lot of people will look at those scorecards and say, "Hey, how's that? You know, this this is bad judging or something along those lines." Because one scorecard actually had the opposite in every single round as another scorecard. We had we saw Sal D'Amato was the dissenting judge there, and he had the opposite scorecard from another one of the judges on the the card which you rarely see, especially in a five-round fight, but, and I mean, I guess it's not really possible in a three-round fight. No, no, I guess it is. Yeah, you can have the uh, opposite scorecards. Never mind. Scratch that. But rare to see that over the course of five rounds where every single round was scored differently, but this was one of those fights. This was a fight where, you know, a lot of people will watch something on TV and they'll all see the same thing, but the judges are sitting on three different corners of the octagon, all watching something totally different. The same fight but they're seeing it from a very different angle so maybe one person is seeing the right hand of strickland connect more than the person that's on strickland's left side for example or somebody who's back who has strickland's back is two or cannoneer's back is two so the impact might be a little bit different based on your vantage point of the fight or what you're hearing there are a lot of different ways to view a fight I think a lot of people thought this was a, a cannoneer win, fairly clearly. But at the same time, it was uh, it was a very close fight, very very close fight. I'm curious what the uh, I'm gonna check the MMA decisions on this one. You know, usually I don't rely on MMA decisions for um, how fights are scored, but I just want to see what the perception was of those watching. Yeah, so it was uh, it was pretty split across the board. We had one 45 for cannoneer. And one forty nine forty six for Strickland. So, and then we had uh, six different 4847s for Strickland. We had three 4946s for Cannoneer, and then a whole bunch of 4847 for Cannoneer. So kind of all over the place. And I thought it was one of those fights where it just depends on how you saw it. Very, very close across the board. Even the stats, if you look at the stats, they were very close as well in terms of both percentages, the amount of strikes landed. But here's the thing. Cannoneer's a guy who fought at heavyweight. Strickland's a guy who fought at welterweight. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but what it does mean is you expect that Cannoneer has the more impactful shots. He's the, the stockier fighter, the bigger fighter, and the, the thicker fighter, really, because, he's again, he's fought in two heavier weight classes than Sean Strickland. So if they're going punch for punch, I think a lot of people would be under the impression that Cannoneer strikes have more impact than that of Strickland, and maybe that's what two of the judges saw. So, an interesting way to end the year, uh, Very basically a kickboxing match between these two. No grappling, really. Just going toe-to-toe five rounds. And uh, I thought it was good advice in the corner of Strickland going into the last round from the great Eric Nixick, saying, we don't know how the judges are scoring this one. You need to really put your foot on the gas. And Canada uh, basically, I think, ended up winning that fifth round for the most part. I think a lot of people would, would have seen it that way. So, competitive fight. Jared Cannoneer maintains his spot. I believe it's third in the middleweight division. He's kind of like the guy that's on the cusp of the elite of that division. You've got your Israel Adesonia, of course the champion Alex Pereira, Alex and Robert Whitaker. They kind of make up the big three of that division. And then I think Cannoneer is like the next guy in the pecking order there. Seems to be beating everyone not named Adesonia, and Whitaker. In fact, those are the only people that he's actually lost to at uh, middleweight. So that holds true. If you look at his losses, it's Israel, Dominic Reyes, Jan Bojovic, Glover Teixeira, and he lost in his debut at heavyweight to Sean Jordan. But uh, Cannonier is had quite the career for himself in the UFC. Got a very late start in MMA. What his first his first fight was in 2011, so that's 11 years ago. So it's still 27 years old kind of a a late age to go pro, and he's really done a lot of good things in the UFC since uh, joining roughly eight years ago, getting all the way to a championship challenger role in the UFC. He should be very proud of his career. But at age 38, I think he's turning 39 relatively soon, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, in March, turning 39. So the next time he fights, he'll probably be 39 years of age. I'm not sure how much higher he's going to be able to get than where he's at right now. That's not necessarily a knock on him. Getting to a championship level in MMA is very difficult, and he was able to do that um, to at least challenge for a championship. So we'll see where Cannoneer goes from here. And as for Sean Strickland, I just think he's going to continue to be in good fights, good tactical stand-up fights. But this at least showed that in a five-round fight where Sean Strickland is able to utilize his cardio, his volume, his output, he can be beaten at that game, which is not good news for Sean Strickland or his coaches, because now you have to go back to the drawing board, you have to figure out... I mean, this is what Sean Strickland does best, is this kind of fight. And for him to lose that, I think, is probably pretty devastating, because that is the exact kind of fight I'm sure he would have wanted from Kananir, where he would have had his best possible outcomes, and he still fell short. Coming event, Arman Sarukian defeats Damir Ismagulov, and he looked phenomenal in doing so, did exactly what he needed to do to get Damir Ismagulov out of his sweet spot, which is at distance, where he's able to use that jab use his arsenal of technical striking especially as a shorter fighter in Sarukian where he could really kind of keep him at length and pick him apart Sarukian utilizing his strong wrestling game to neutralize Demir Uzmugulov's best, best path to victory ends up winning all three rounds on the judges scorecards I still think Uzmagulov's a great fighter and will be able to beat a lot of guys at 155, but once you start to get into this pressure cooker that is the rankings at 155 pounds, that's where guys like Arman Sarukian get in your way and make it difficult for you to ascend beyond them. I thought Saruqian beat Gamrot earlier this year, one of the best fights of the year. Imagine the trajectory of Arman Saruqian had he been given the nod over Gamrot in that fight. Probably would be close to a championship level himself. Fought Islam Makhachev close in his... MMA debut, he did lose that fight, but either way, I think Armand Sarukian has a very bright future in this light heavyweight division. If you look at him, only 26 years of age, recently turned 26 as well. And aside from those unanimous decision losses to Islam Makhachev and Mateusz Gamrot, he has beaten the likes of Olivier Aubon-Mercier, Davy Hamosh, Matt Frivola, Christos Giagos, Joel Alvarez, and Damir Ismagulov. Fought three times in 2022. Hopefully, we can see that kind of activity from him in 2023's training over at American Top Team, and they have really helped raise his level. Amir al-Bazi defeats Alessandro Costa, a short-notice opponent. Third round KO for Albazi And uh, he had to make some adjustments against uh, an opponent. I'm sure he wasn't super familiar with going into this fight, but I think Amir al-Bazi is someone to definitely watch in this division, I'm going to take a quick look at the rankings and see where he's at, because I'm sure he is quickly moving up the rankings at 125 pounds. Let's take a quick look here at the men's flyweight division. I believe these are the updated rankings. Yeah, we've got Amir Albazi moving to number seven now of the flyweight division behind just Alex Perez, Mateus Nicolau, Brandon Roival, Kaikar France, Alassane Pantoja, Brandon Moreno, and... Davison Figueiredo, the champion, and of course Moreno being the interim champion. So let's see what Albazi can do from here, because I think uh, he is somebody who is going to be a very, very tough out for anybody in the UFC right now, 16-1 and one in his career, his lone loss to Jose Shorty Torres, former UFC fighter in his own right back at Brave CF 23, wins over Malcolm Gordon, Jalgas Jumagulov, Francisco Figueiredo, and uh, Alessandro Costa thus far. And I mean, I don't think that's the highest level of competition. For him to be ranked seventh after those four wins, I think they're doing what I have always hoped people would do when watching these fighters compete, which is look at the skill level. Not necessarily who they're beating, but how they're beating them. And I think Amir al has shown that he is somebody that a lot of people aren't going to want to face, but if he's going to have a number seven beside his name, it certainly makes a matchup against him a lot more intriguing. Alex Caseras defeats Julian Arosa, Juicy J, TKO. Beautiful head kick in the very first round, using his lead leg off of a lead punch. Just from a technical standpoint, very, very difficult to not only land that combo, but to land it with the impact that he did to finish Julian Arosa. That was a, a great finish to finish the year for the UFC. Uh, tremendous highlight and he walks away with a performance of the night bonus as a result. Nice to see uh, Alex Caceres bounce back. He's really had a good late career renaissance. Um, I mean, he's still not that old, but um, now ranked 15th. I believe he just re-entered the rankings at 15, and they took uh, Jonathan Pierce out. So he's back as a ranked featherweight in the division where it is just exceedingly difficult to be ranked in. Good for Alex Caceres finishing the year after uh, a tough loss earlier this year. Drew Dober versus Bobby Green. This was the fight of the night, and deservedly so. You know, keeping your hands down if you're Bobby Green has been very successful for him in past outings against a guy like Drew Dober, who's got like a granite chin and big power, probably not the best game plan. And I think he learned that the hard way in this fight. Looked like a fun fight. He was landing some nice shots on Dober, but Dober just kept walking forward. You know, it's. I wrote this on Twitter. You know, Bobby Green's got great trash talk, but a good antidote for trash talk is taking all of your opponent's punches and just continuing to walk forward and then land bombs. I mean, <laughs> that's probably more effective and gets into your head a little bit more than someone talking smack to you during the fight. And Bobby Green loves to talk. But I drew it over with a tremendous KO victory over Bobby Green. And to start the main card... Mikhail Olegzajic with a beautiful KO over Cody Brundage. I I love Olegzajic at 185 pounds. Keep matching him up with good strikers. I mean, Brundage is more of a grappling-based fighter, but I want to see this guy against the best strikers. I think that this guy's got great power, great pressure. I've always loved what I saw from Mikhail Olegzajic, and I think finally at middleweight is where he's going to come into his own. I think at 205, he was pretty vastly undersized, especially when people would take him down. He would really have nowhere to go. I think at 185 pounds, it gives him a better opportunity to excel. So good for Mikhail Olukzajic getting that KO and also earned a performance of the night bonus off of that KO. Now let's uh, quickly go through the preliminary card. Corey McKenna defeats Cheyenne Blismus 29-28 on all scorecards. I had it scored the same. I thought McKenna won the second and third. This is going to be a problem for Cheyenne Blismus. If she's not going to be able to get up when fighters in her division take her down, there is a very clear path to victory against Cheyenne Blismus. And I think she needs to really work on that part of her game. Just 27 years of age, I think that she has a, uh, a lot that she can do to improve. She had one two in a row going into this fight, but uh, took the year off. And uh, now, on the second straight year, she is on the final event of that calendar year for the UFC. But uh, this time falls short against Cory McKenna, who, at just 23 years of age, is looking great. She has that one loss to Elise Reed, but she's 4-1 in her UFC career. Some solid wins over the likes of Vanessa Demopoulos, uh, Kay Hansen, Miranda Granger, and now Cheyenne Blissmas. It seems like she is um, really leveling up each time she enters the octagon. I think she's got a really bright future. Especially with that kind of a wrestling game at strawweight, fighters like that have tended to excel. So I think she really does need to work on her striking game, though. Her striking is not really... You know, predicated on having strong power or impact. And I think that that's something that if she can work on over the course of her career, it's going to make her a much better fighter, especially when it comes to how fights are scored. Because I thought that from a damage standpoint, she did just enough to win the second round against Felismas. Because when it was on the feet, Cheyenne Vlismus was landing the far more impactful shots. Matthew Semelsberger defeats Jake Matthews, 30-27, 29-28, 29-28. Landed three knockdowns in that fight. It's just like Jake Matthews, whenever he seems to be coming into his own, he hits a stumbling block, and this was it. Semmelsberger has tremendous power for the welterweight division, great athleticism. I think he's someone who is going to be a tough out for absolutely everybody in the UFC. So far, only loss uh, of the year was to Alex Morono and lost to uh, Chaos Williams last year. What's going on with Chaos Williams? When was the last time we saw him compete? I feel like we haven't seen him in a while. No, he fought in May against Randy Brown. I forgot about that fight. So many fights in one year. Hard to remember these things. In the Battle of the Saeeds, Saeed Nurmagomedov defeats Saïd Yokub Kachromanov. Kachromanov had that fight in hand. Then gets caught in a, a sneaky ninja choke in the second round. Taps out. That was the alone finish of the prelims. Big win for Saïd Nurmagomedov, who needed that. And uh, improves in the UFC to a record of 6-1. and one, And has looked very, very good. Hasn't really bought, beaten... I guess his best win would be over uh, Ricardo Ramos. But uh, outside of that, hasn't really fought the top-level guys. He had a good win over Cody Stamen in 47 seconds. I mean, Cody Stamen is tough as they come. But I think that he still uh, needs to kind of have a step up in competition. Rafa Garcia loses many, many pints of blood in his fight against Mahashata. You wouldn't have known that he lost 20% of the blood in his body by looking at the scorecards, 3027 across the board. I uh, got a cut on his head uh, that I, I believe hit an artery, and he was just bleeding for hours backstage, apparently. But again, <laughs> won every single round of this fight. So you can look at the pictures and hear the uh, horror stories, but at the same time, you got the job done. Renat Fakhretinov defeats Brian Battle 3025 on two scorecards and 3027 on another. Uh, I would tend to lean more with the 30-25 scorecards than the 30-27. I mean, he had, I think it was the record for the most control in the history of a three-round UFC fight. But on top of that, he was landing strikes from top over and over again, stifling Brian Battle, making his life difficult, definitely had the duration, definitely had the dominance, and uh, in terms of the damage, I think he accrued that as well in at least one of those rounds. Two of the judges thought it was two of those rounds, so good on... uh, Renat, this guy looks like another one of these welterweight hammers in the uh, lineage of a Khanza Shemaev and Shavkat Rachmanov. We'll see where Renat ends up. I think that uh, his striking is not on the level with those guys, and his finishing instinct isn't quite as high, but he certainly is able to dominate opponents. Manel Kopp defeats David Dvorak, 30-27, 30-27, and 29-28. Uh, I love watching Manel Kopp do his thing. This guy is so much fun. I think he's going to be a, a contender. At 125 pounds, by this time next year, I expect him to be in the top five. Where is he now? I don't think he's in, the, he's in the top five yet. Where is he currently? I'm hoping he's not like number six and it sounds like I'm making a really silly prediction. He's number nine. I think he'll be in the top five next year. And that would mean ahead of guys like Mateus Nicolau, Brandon Kai Kaikar France, Pantoja, and Brandon Moreno. So somewhere in that mix, I think he's that good. And uh, that's, yeah, I mean, that shouldn't come as news to anybody. Him him coming off of Ryzen came in with big fanfare, lost his first two UFC fights, but has bounced back since. Sergey Morozov defeats Journey Newsom, really controlled this fight wherever it went. Uh, Newsom landed some uh, solid shots in the first round that I think won him that round, but it was mostly one-way traffic for Sergey Morozov. A couple days before the event, we lost uh, Julian Marquez and uh, Duran Wynn. Wynn apparently fell down a flight of stairs. And suffered a minor concussion, so the uh, the bout did not go on. And uh, neither guy got to compete, which is uh, always a real bummer. Especially for Julian Marquez. I mean, this guy's gone through so much lately with uh, everything going on with his gym. It would have been nice to see him do his thing in the octagon. So that is your UFC Fight Night Cannoneer versus Strickland recap. And that wraps up the UFC's calendar year. There is no UFC event until January the 14th, until we return to the UFC Apex for a card headlined by the one and only Kelvin Gastelum against Nasruddin Imabov. So, for now, we uh, we have that to look forward to, as well as Ryzen versus Bellator New Year's Eve. That is happening, of course, on December the 31st. Uh, it is airing on tape delay for those in uh, North America to watch it leading up to the dropping of the ball. So, you know, if you're at home with your family and they're like, Daddy, Daddy, we want to go see fireworks. Not now, kid. It's Ryzen versus Bellator. That's what that's what I'll be saying. Ah, probably not. I'll probably probably be watching the fireworks. But I am definitely going to watch Ryzen versus uh, Bellator. <laughs> Just got to figure out how to navigate that situation. Robert Whitaker... And Paulo Costa no longer happening for UFC 284. And there's a big question as to whether or not it was ever happening to begin with. Because Paulo Costa apparently just never signed the contract and they advertised the fight. So, Whitaker now off the card altogether. At least he gets to enjoy the Christmas holidays, but... It's a real bummer as that card is, of course, taking place in Perth. And will now be taking place without... One of the most popular stars, possibly the most popular star to ever emerge from Australia in the UFC. I mean, we've got Volkanovski headlining, so I think if you're going to flip a coin, it's between those two guys. But uh, that's uh, a real bummer for that particular card. And uh, we also uh, had an incident with um, Mike the Truth Jackson. He's at the uh, UFC Performance Institute. And I don't know the whole story here, but uh, apparently Jake Shields. Approach they of course, if you follow either of those guys, have been going back and forth on uh, social media for some time. And uh, Mike Jackson says he intends to press charges and potentially sue Jake Shields. And I also read subsequently that Jake Shields is planning on suing Mike Jackson for calling him a Nazi. So who knows what's going to happen with that? But uh, Mike Jackson has said that now Jake Shields is banned from the uh, UFCPI. I don't really know what to make of that, so... uh, Not sure how uh, that's going to play out overall, but not a good situation. I mean, you guys can go back and forth on social media all you want. But uh, when it comes to, you know, somebody trying to work out in the gym, I'm not sure if uh, you need to take it out on them in that kind of environment, especially if you are a coach in mixed martial arts and you need to use the US CPI with your athletes, yeah, you might want to think twice about uh, what you're going to be doing. Aaron Blanchfield was on a morning combat with my uh, colleagues and friends, Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell, yesterday. Or actually, I think the video came out today. I would imagine they shot it yesterday. Because I know yesterday they were talking about how it was the last time they were going to be in Jersey City. But, uh, you know, maybe a peek behind the curtain there. But they had Aaron Blanchfield in studio with them. And she revealed that she is going to be facing Tyler Santos in February. That's a big fight. Because I think a lot of people thought that Tyler Santos had more success against Valentina Shevchenko than really anybody that we've seen in in some time against the uh, flyweight queen. And many people, I think, were thinking a rematch between Santos and Shevchenko would be next. Well, not so. It looks like they are going to put Aaron Blanchfield on the fast track. Is Aaron Blanchfield uh, in John Jones championship range? I don't think so. She's tw- no, she'll be 24 in May, so she she has she's not going to be able to break that John Jones record if she uh, gets matched up with with Shevchenko by the end of next year. But she could be the youngest female champion in history. I think that that designation is currently held by or distinction rather is currently held by Rose Nama Yunus. Not to say that she's going to beat Shevchenko or Santos necessarily, but that's the trajectory that she is currently on. Looking forward to that one. That should be a fun fight. I like the uh, the stylistic matchup there. And I thought that Blanchfield summed it up pretty nicely in her interview when they said, like, you know, what does she bring to the table? And she was like, I don't think that uh, she's necessarily the most dangerous fighter, but she's very good. And I think that that is a pretty good explanation for Tyler Santos. She's not necessarily a, a, a strong finisher, but technically she is sound absolutely everywhere. So we'll see what happens there. Not a whole lot of big UFC news, really, um, coming out of the weekend. We've had some some matchups. Uh, Andre Muniz versus Brendan Allen for UFC Fight Night on February 25th. I'm surprised they didn't give Muniz a, uh, a fight that was higher up the totem pole. Because I think a lot of people believe Andre Muniz would be a very difficult stylistic matchup for those at the top of the division. But uh, him versus Brendan Allen is a great fight. In fact, I think Brendan Allen is going to be in his face for the entire fight. He's very good on the ground. So it'll be a good matchup stylistically to see where Andre Muniz is at to be honest. They've given him a lot of matchups that have been kind of favorable to his stylist, his uh, skill set. I think in this situation it's uh, not not necessarily the case. But excited for that one as well. That should be a lot of fun. So should my show with uh Mark Raymondi and Mike Bond, and Brian Campbell, and Sean Elshadi, where we recap the year that was in Mixed Martial Arts. You can uh, check that out wherever you find your podcasts, as well as over the next couple of weeks on TSN Radio. So, looking forward to speaking with those gentlemen and recapping the year. Is right now, I'm looking around, and there's not a whole lot to talk about. I mean, it seems like we're at the end of the, uh, the year, so why don't we talk a little bit about... Uh, the year that was. Now, I don't want to do give away any of my picks that I'm going to be having with the, these gentlemen, but the big question is how do you rank this year if, You know, in terms of previous years for the UFC? And one thing that I like to do is go back to January and look at the main events since the beginning of the year and just go one by one and talk about how the year played out, because I think that there were a lot of really interesting things that happened this year. So why don't we start off in January? The first fight of the year, Calvin Cater versus Giga Jokadze deliver. A lot of people, myself included, said, hey, if Jakadze beats Calvin Cater, perhaps he gets the next shot at the title, because Volkanovsky was supposed to be facing Holloway. Holloway fell out. They needed a replacement. They ended up replacing him with the Korean Zombie, and that was announced actually before this fight even came to fruition. But Cater uh, ended up piecing up Chikadze. Great fight. And kind of threw Chikadze off of his trajectory. It looked like he was starting to head towards the finish line of that featherweight division, but now uh, has been knocked down a couple notches. I don't believe he's fought since. I think he was lined up. He's matched up against somebody. I think it was Sadiq Yusuf, but it fell through. Yeah, he was supposed to face Sadiq Yusuf in September, but got injured. And then... January 22nd, it was the last time that the UFC Heavyweight Championship has been contested. It will be more than a year once January 22... Sorry, January 22nd of 2023 hits. It'll be more than a year since the uh, heavyweight title has been up for grabs. Francis Ngannou defeats Cyril Gunn in a very interesting matchup because we talk about everything that's gone on lately with James Krause and with that Derek Minner injury and how that moved the lines. The line for this uh, fight moved as well, because I think a lot of people saw that Francis uh, Ngannou was walking around with, I believe, uh, like a sleeve around his knee or something and was was favoring it when he was walking around. And people, I'm sure, started spreading around that, uh, you know, perhaps he was compromised and the line started to move in the direction of Gan leading up to the fight. But uh, Ngannou would not be denied. He bet on himself put all of his eggs in this basket and decided to implement a grappling-based game plan against Gon that ended up paying off, and he ended up winning a, a decision on the scorecards in a very, very interesting manner because I don't think that anybody expected the fight to go that way. I think if if you would would have told someone, this fight's going to go to a decision. What's the betting line? Cyril Gunn would have been like minus 700, I would think. I don't think anybody would have thought that Nganu would beat gone by decision, but that's what happened. Surreal Gun has since bounced back. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. We got Jack Hermanson versus Sean Strickland. That was the main event February the 5th at the Apex. Had one of the weirdest scorecards, I think, that we had this year, which was uh, Sal D'Amato giving Hermanson the fight. I You know, you can go back and watch that one, but I, I didn't agree with that scorecard. And fun, funny enough, the model gave Strickland the only 49-46 scorecard this past weekend, so would be interested in his methodology, especially for that fight, the Hermanson versus Strickland. I didn't, I didn't really see a case for Hermanson to win on the scorecards there. Then we had uh, Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker, the rematch, very, very closely contested fight in Houston, Texas, that resulted in Israel retaining the belt belt uh, the belt in a very close fight. I think it ended up being a unanimous decision. I'm going to just double-check that so that I, for accuracy's sake. Yeah, unanimous decision, 48, 47, 48, 47, 49, 46. I, I thought that Israel had won that fight as well on the scorecards. So uh, I think they got that one right, but a very close fight. And uh, Whitaker looks like he was right there with Israel after that fight. Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill. Ended probably as you would have expected it would happen. It would end. Two minutes and 55 seconds. Jamal Hill with a massive knockout over Johnny Walker. Islam Mahashev against Bobby Green. Green filling in on short notice. Um, Mahashev was supposed to face Benil Deryush, I believe, on that card. And uh, Mahashev ran through Bobby Green in that fight. Then we had UFC 272, headlined by a non-title bout between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal, kind of a grudge match, so to speak, and uh, Covington won 50-44, 50-45, and 49-46 on those scorecards. The co-main event had a short notice Renato Moicano come in and face Rafael dos Anjos, plus a lopsided beating by uh, Bryce Mitchell over Edson Barboza. Jeez, that card seems like it was forever ago, and it was back in March. We then had a very ho-hum fight night main event. Tiago Santos losing to uh, Magomed Ankalaev by decision. Volkov versus Aspinall. Aspinall beating Volkov, I believe, it was inside of a minute, if I'm not mistaken. Nope, it was 3 minutes and 45 seconds. My mistake. But uh, either way, got him in that nice Kimura, I believe it was. Um, it was actually a straight armbar. And uh, getting the, the, the finish. And that really... Elevated Tom Aspinall into being, you know, a future heavyweight challenger until later this year, where we'll talk about that as we get to it. Um, with one of the men I'm about to speak about, Curtis Blades defeating uh, Chris Docus utilizing just his striking, got a second round TKO over uh, docus Bad year, not not a great year for Chris Docus uh, or Kyle Docus for that matter, unfortunately. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky, with one of the more lopsided beatdowns you will see in the championship bout against the Korean Zombie back in Jacksonville this past April. A phenomenal, phenomenal fight for Alexander the Great. Bilal Muhammad had a great fight against Vicente Luque in April. Lemos versus Andrade. Andrade with that standing choke against Lemos. Where you can see that there's that still shot where Lemos looks like she has the fear, like, like she's seen a monster in her eyes. And now Lemos is like right in the mix for the title at, at women's strawweight. But uh, Andraj with a big win over her earlier this year. And Andrade now back in the flyweight division for the time being. Rob Font, Cheeto Vera. Rob Font, uh, you know, turned up the volume early on. And then Vera does what Vera does, be- does best and turned the tables on him late in that fight. As uh, Chito Vera often does, he wins a uh, decision unanimously over Rob Font. And Chido Vera is a fighter who, if you're talking about fighter of the year, he, he's got to be in the conversation. At least an honorable mention. Gaethje versus Oliveira back in Phoenix. Awesome fight for as long as it lasted. It was a one-round fight. But uh, one of the bigger stories of the year, Oliveira losing the belt on the scale. The first time in UFC history where we've seen a fighter drop their title on the scale. See so he weighed in. I think it was like 145.6 pounds or something ridiculous like that. It caused him to lose the uh, balance scale. That was an exciting round. That was had uh, followed one of the worst fights that you will see over the course of five rounds in UFC history between Carla Sparza and Rose Namajunas, where we crowned a new women's strawweight champion in Carla Sparza. How many strikes did she land in that fight? I'm I'm gonna look this up because it's got to be like some sort of record for the lowest amount of strikes. In a five round fight. She landed 30 strikes in five rounds. I don't know if that's the record, but maybe in a championship fight. Yeah, just a, a not a good fight. Uh, but that that fight came after one of the best knockouts of the year. Michael Chandler knocking out Tony Ferguson, El Kakui. 17 seconds into the second second round with that massive front kick. Um, the rest of that pay-per-view card, not a whole lot to write home about there. But uh I was at that card, I had a I had a blast was fun going back to uh, Phoenix for that one. We also had uh, Jan Boahovic against Alexander Rockich, where it looked like Rockich was going to move up the ladder and then suffered a bad injury in the third round of their fight. Boahovic ends up winning that one and then ultimately trying to win back his light heavyweight championship in recent weeks. Holly Holm versus Ketlin Vieira. This was one of the more controversial scorecards of the year. I actually had scored it for Ketlin Vieira, although... Most people thought Holly Holm won that fight, so... Um, yeah, that was the, the really the big takeaway from that fight. Alexander Volkov versus Jarzino Rosenstroik. Volkov wins in via first-round TKO, and since then we've seen Rosenstroik redeem himself. Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prokashka, in my opinion. The fight of the year. A little bit of a spoiler for uh, that year-in-review show, but... Um, that fight was absolutely awesome. Just an awesome, awesome fight. Also had the Shevchenko and Tyler Santos fight that we talked about a little bit earlier. And the final fight in the career of Joanna Jędrzejczyk, who lost to Zhang Veili by highlight reel spinning backfist. We also had Calvin Cater against Josh Emmett. Controversial scorecards in that one as well. Especially one of the judges giving Josh Emmett the fourth round of that fight, which was uh, one of the more clear rounds of the fight. And uh, I think would have swung the, the uh, decision had they scored that fight, what many people would have deemed to be correctly. I mentioned Sarukian versus Gamrot earlier. Um, they gave Gamrot, the judges gave Gamrot that fight. I thought Sarukian won that fight. Very competitive, very fun fight. One of the better fights of the year. Israel Adesanya against Jared Cannonier. Adesanya runs through Cannonier. Um, winning 50-45, 49-46, 49-46. That was right after Alexander Volkanovsky just put the hurt on Max Holloway. If there were any questions left as to that trilogy, Alexander Volkanovsky certainly answered them there. It also had uh, Alex Pereira knocking out Sean Strickland in the very first round. And that was uh, International Fight Week at T-Mobile Arena. We had Rafael Dos Anjos losing to Rafael Fiziev. Dos Anjos recently told me that uh, that loss basically told him he was no longer championship caliber and he just wants to have kind of fun fights from here on out at welterweight, which he, he has recently done. Bayern Ortega versus Yair Rodriguez ends in kind of a freak injury with a shoulder dislocation on the Ortega side in the first round. Very disappointing because that, that fight looked like it was going to be a lot of fun. Curtis Blades versus Tom Aspinall, back-to-back weeks with an injury stoppage. Tom Aspinall steps back, blows out his knee in 15 seconds, and that fight ends. And uh, now it's probably going to be a year before we see Tom Aspinall. Maybe not, not a year from now, but probably not until the summertime where we see the return of Tom Aspinall. And that might be generous, given uh, what happened to his knee there. Juliana Pena is defeated in the rematch against Amanda Nunes in Dallas back in uh, at the end of July. That was a fun fight week. I had a good time there. We also had an interim title bout between Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France. Moreno looked like Kai Kara France was starting to put it on him, and then he comes out of nowhere with a body kick that just crumbles Kai Kara France. We also saw that Sergei Pavlovich massive knockout over Derek Lewis. That was a fun card. Tiago Santos against uh, Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill gets the finish over Thiago Santos in the fourth round. Santos has since signed with the PFL, and Jamal Hill will be fighting for the title in a month. So a lot's changed in that, in that division. We had uh, Cheeto Vera against Dominic Cruz in San Diego. That was a fun fight. Marlon Vera with a f- phenomenal win over uh, Dominic Cruz, fourth round KO. And uh, I think that there's a chance we see Cheeto Vera fighting for the title sometime next year. Kamaru Usman versus Leon Edwards. The rematch. Many years in the making. Usman putting it on Edwards. Fight fight is basically about to be over. The commentators are talking about how the fight is all but done and then Edwards lands a head kick out of nowhere and is currently your welterweight champion. We're going to see what happens. They haven't announced yet whether Edward and Usman are going to have their trilogy fight in March at the O2, but uh, I, I believe that's the way that it is trending. We'll see. Uh, apparently Usman might have had to have another hand surgery that might be delaying things. This is all reported. Uh, I don't know the veracity of those reports, so I can't really speak on them. Surreal Gon defeats Tai Tuivasa. That was in France. Tuivasa nearly beat Ghan in that fight, landed an absolute bomb on him, but Gon was able to turn the tables and uh, finish Tuivasa. And remind us why we're all so excited about the future of Surreal Don. Then there was one of the, the most eventful fight weeks that I can remember covering. UFC 279 in Vegas it was supposed to be Nate Diaz versus Hamza Shemayev. Shemayev misses weight. They shift the card. Ends up being Nate Diaz against Ferguson. Hamza Shemayev versus Kevin Holland. Daniel Rodriguez against Li Lang. They all have new opponents within like 36 hours of the fight. Unbelievable turn of events. The fight week itself might have been more fun than the card. But the card ended up delivering as well. Nate Diaz scoring a win over Tony Ferguson. Ferguson no longer in the UFC rankings as of this week, by the way. We then had Corey Sanhagen against Song Yadong. Sanhagen with a big win over Song. Looking forward to seeing what's next for him. We had Mackenzie Dern losing to Yan Xiaonan. Um, I thought that was the correct scorecard. I know a lot of people thought Dern won that fight. Alexa Grasso beating Viviane Araujo. Then we had Oliveira versus Makhachev. I was really looking forward to this one, but Makhachev made it a fairly one sided fight, took Oliveira out of his game, submits him in the second round. We also had that horrible shoulder dislocation from TJ Dillashaw, and he has subsequently retired. Whether that retirement stays firm, we don't know. Sean O'Malley defeated Pyotr Jan, controversial fight, controversial scorecards. Benil Deriush pieced up Mateusz Gamrot in that fight. We had Manon Fioro defeating Caitlin Chukagian as well. And Bilal Muhammad with a win over Sean Brady. That was a stacked card. Lots of good stuff on that card. Then we had Calvin Cater against Arnold Allen. Cater suffered a knee injury eight seconds into the second round. And uh, Allen gets the win. Uh, I don't know if we'll be seeing Calvin Cater in 2023, unfortunately. That looked like a pretty bad injury. Then we had uh, Marina Rodriguez losing to Amanda Lemos. Amanda Lemos with the KO. She has probably the best power of anyone in the women's strawweight division. And uh, she is positioning herself to be potentially fighting for the uh, strawweight championship next. Probably needs one more win. Because it looks like Jean-Blai wants to wait until summer before she competes again. Then UFC 281 at MSG. Awesome card. Headliner Alex Pereira was down on the scorecards, ends up scoring a fifth-round KO, another crazy fifth-round KO, coming-out-of-nowhere win. And there were several of these this year, which is unbelievable. Some of the best comebacks we've seen in MMA ever happened in this year. I mean, we also have the Sergio Pettis Horiguchi finish on the Bellator side. also had Zhang Veili defeating Carla Barza to become your new Women's strawweight Championship and a, a war between... Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler. Not to mention the uh, the ascent of Aaron Blanchfield that we talked about a little bit earlier with her uh, dominant performance over Molly McCann. Um, one of the worst name value main events that you'll ever see Kennedy and Zechaku against Iwan Kutelaba becomes your main event on the day of the fight as uh, Derek Lewis was hospitalized, was supposed to be facing Sergey Spivak. So we get Kennedy and Zechaku versus Kutelaba. <laughs> Not great. And Zechikwu gets the win. One of the fights of the year, Wonderboy Thompson versus Kevin Holland. That was an awesome fight in Orlando, Florida. Great card overall. We also had Dos Anjos against Barberena on that card. We had Sergei Pavlovich finishing tied to Ivasa inside of a minute. That was an awesome, awesome card. Steven Wonderboy Thompson. With the kind of matchup that we love to see Steven Wonderboy Thompson in. Then, of course, two weeks ago, Jan Bojovic... Versus Magomed Ankalaev results in a split draw. And the controversial Patty Pimblett versus Jared Gordon fight. And then, of course, this past weekend, which we just recapped, the Cannoneer versus Strickland card. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. In 2022. Lots of great comebacks. Lots of uh, big stars being built that we're going to see next year. Very much looking forward to seeing what happens in uh, 2023. And chopping it up with my friends and colleagues, Sean Alshadi, Mike Bond, Brian Campbell, Mark Raimondi. You can hear that podcast wherever podcasts are found sometime this week. Appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you listening. Thank you for all of your support over the year, uh, over this year and past years. Had so many interviews this year. I I don't even know. I could probably go back and count, but I would guess that it's no less than 200 interviews this year. If you listen to all of them, congratulations to you. I, I, I mean... I did all of them, but I haven't listened to all of them. In fact, I rarely go back and listen to them after they're done. But thank you so much for all your support this year. For me, professionally, this has been the most rewarding year of my career. Was nominated for MMA Journalist of the Year at the World MMA Awards. Uh, got to do commentary for the first time for a UFC or for sorry, uh, an MMA event on UFC Fight Pass. Just had such a blast this year. It was, again, one of the most rewarding years. Well, definitely the most rewarding year in terms of my career that I've ever had. It was such a great year. So I will look back on 2022 fondly. Um, aside from the uh, the death of my grandmother, that was, uh, of course, a very sad thing for me uh, this year, back at the beginning of the year. But uh, thankfully things uh, picked up from there. So, you know, my grandmother would have turned uh, 92 couple days ago so lived a nice long life was a uh, blessed to be able to spend so much time with her over the course of my life she was a, a great spirit so um, someone who just lit up a room so it was uh, always a pleasure of course getting to spend any sort of time with her over the uh, the course of my life lucky to have known her lucky to have been part of her family and I'm lucky to have you as part of my mixed martial arts family so thank you again for tuning in you can go to www.aaron.report for all of my work And until next year, be kind, be well, and remain enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.